week five of our series called Level Up. And in this series, we're talking about the character traits that, that God wants to develop in our lives to make us more and more like Jesus. And by this point, you, you probably, you're starting to memorize uh, kind of our, our theme verses from Galatians 5, because we've been saying them over and over again. Uh, many of you have been studying them in your small group as well. And so uh, we're going to hit them one more time here this week. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says this, but when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce this kind of fruit. Not us, we don't have to do this on our own, but He will produce this in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. An incredible thing, right? That, that God wants to make these things happen in our lives and we get that chance to, to kind of partner with Him as He develops those. And today we're gonna to talk about faithfulness. We're getting near to the end of the series and the end of the list, but um, here, let me just define faithfulness for you. Just kind of a, a simple definition. It's probably what you think it is. It just means to be reliable or to be trustworthy, to be loyal or to be committed to someone or, or something. And, and so that's what faithfulness is, right? It, being faithful is someone that, that keeps their promises. Being faithful is a, is a loyal friend that even when times get tough, you just, you hang in there and you stick it out with them. And being trustworthy means that you, you do the things that you said that you would do. It means that you're, you're fully committed to someone, you're fully committed to something in your life. Now, let me give you a test. I'm going to test your faithfulness, test your, your loyalties here this morning. So we're going to put some stuff up on the screen and you've got to vote on it. All right. I need you to participate in this. It's going to be fantastic. Here we go. Here's the first one. All right, how many Coke people out there? Coke? Okay. Oh, we got some cheers too. Pepsi? Ooh, <laughs> you're so dainty. That was, that was fantastic. All right, all right. Let's say a little bit more Coke, I think, than Pepsi, but let's try this next one. What do we got here? McDonald's. <laughs> we all go, but nobody admits it. I'm like, I'm not putting my hand up. I'm not, not doing it, right? Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A, hey! <laughs> Even the show. We have so many people that own different restaurants and manage it. I, I always get nervous doing it, but we love Chick-fil-A. So that's a, that's a good thing. All right, here's the next one. Here's the next one. How many of you would rather go to the beach? Beach people, oh yeah. Mountains, where's my mountain people? Put on some flannel and not shave and chop something down. Yeah, there you go. All right, some of you are kind of split on that one. That's good. Um, there's a movie coming out this, I think it's this summer. I don't know when, or I don't even know if I'm gonna see it, but how many of you are Batman fans? Oh, I see some like double hands up. That's intense right there. How many of you are Superman fans? I don't know how he gets that cape down inside of his shirt and stuff, but it seems like that's a superhero power right there in and of itself. All right, let's get down into the dirty south a little bit. How many of you are Ford people? You can grunt if you need to, uh, uh, whatever. Chevy, where's my Chevy? Yeah, that's nice. I, I, I drive a Nissan, so I don't, I can't, I can't, I'm not even a man, I don't think. I'm not sure what that means. I don't know what that, I don't know what that is. All right, we got, we got one more. We got, uh, <laughs> I didn't have to say anything. You're like, oh, terrible. All right, where's my Carolina fans? All right, hey, congratulations. Big win last night. You guys deserved it. Yep, ACC championship. All right, there you go. Where's the Duke fans in the house? Oh, a little more civilized, but that's all right. The Duke fans are there. Where's my wolf pack? Woo! Wolf pack in the house, that's strong. And where's, no one gets love here. Where's the Campbell Camels in the house? All four of you, way to go. You cheer that out, right? We love the camels. Watch out, they spit. Um, anytime you can work an Aladdin quote in there, it just, it just feels right. So I, I think that's it. Is that, I don't think we have any more, did we? No, 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 we're not, I'm not going there. We're not doing that. 
I love my job too much. We're not, nah, that's, that's not happening, right? We, we're loyal to things, aren't we? We're faithful to things. We're committed to all kinds of things in our life. What is it that makes you loyal or committed or faithful to those things? Sometimes it's, it's just the taste of it, right? I like the, the way that this product tastes better than this one. Sometimes it's, it's just that this product is superior to other products in, in our estimation, right? Maybe it's, it's the customer service that we get from certain um, industries or, or corporations or individuals, and we say, I'm going to be loyal to that for the rest of my life. Sometimes it's just tradition, right? My, my dad was a Ford man, and my dad's dad was a Ford man, and my dad's dad's dad was a, and so I'm a Ford man, right? And you're just, it's just that tradition within your family that you're going to keep doing that. Maybe sometimes it's just, it's just memories, right? Some incredible memories that, that just trigger good things. And I, I don't know what it might be. Maybe you're like, oh, I love the beach. Because remember that time that grandma passed out and fell out of her lawn chair and your hair caught on fire from the bonfire? Good times, right? Good times at the, at the beach. I, I don't know. Sometimes our loyalty comes from the fact that, that we just, we paid for it. Some of you paid a lot of money. Some of you are still paying a lot of money for a piece of paper that says you graduated from a place and you're like, I'm going to be loyal, right? I am fully committed with how much money I paid to that place. We go all out when we're faithful, when we're loyal to something, don't we? We, we go to the shows, we wear the jerseys, we paint our faces, we put stickers all over our cars, flags on our house, right? We're fully, fully committed. There's some of you will not wear a certain shade of blue at all in the triangle because you just know it represents something. And so we're fully loyal to those. In fact, there's, there's even levels of faithfulness. Where's my Carolina Panther fans? Carolina Panther fans in the house? All right. I'm not going to talk about your quarterback this time, but, but here's the deal, right? Some of you, the loyal, right, Carolina Panther fans, you still have the jerseys, right? You're wearing your jersey, even though lost in the Super Bowl. Right? You said, some of you, though, some of you, when the, when the Super Bowl was happening, you had your Carolina jersey on, but you left the tag on, and that Monday, you were back at, like, Walmart selling, taking it back in, right? You're like, oh, I'm off the bandwagon, right? There's, loyal, there's levels of loyalty and, and faithfulness. I'm hardcore. I'm, I'm just a, a bandwagon fans. Here's the reality is, is that life is a test, isn't it? Life is all about all kinds of different tests. And God wants to see if we're going to be faithful in our lives. He wants to see if we're going to be loyal. He wants to see if we're going to be fully committed to him. You see, our character is developed and it's revealed through the different tests that God allows us to go through. So we're always being tested. Everything in life is significant. Every day is important. Every decision, the hundreds, thousands of decisions you make on a daily basis are important. God watches everything because he wants to see how we're going to respond to the people that he has put in our lives, whether that's the family we were born into or the, the people that we sit in class next to or that we work with or the, the guy that cuts you off on the way to church, right? He wants to see how are you gonna respond to that. He wants to see how we're gonna respond to, to the problems that we face in life, to the disappointments that set in. Are we gonna turn to him and trust in him or do we try to, to cope with it in some other way? God wants to see what are we gonna do with illnesses in our lives, right? Whether it's this flu that's going around right now that, that's just like wiping people out or, or whether it's something far more serious, God wants to see how are you gonna respond to that? Are, are you gonna stay loyal to me? Will your trust be in me through this. He even wants to see it through successes in our lives. Sometimes God allows us to, to have incredible success in things because he wants to see, are, are you still going to trust me? Am I still going to be first in your life? Or, or do you forget about me when all of a sudden things are good? You see, we're, we're always tested. Nothing in life is, is insignificant. And so the question is this, is what's one test that you're facing today? Maybe it's at home and in your family. Maybe it's at, at work or school. Maybe it's with your kids or, or in the realm of finances for you. What's something that's being tested in your life today? 
Because the reason that God allows us to go through tests is because he wants to develop and reveal our character. And the character trait that we're talking about today is, is faithfulness. So if you have your Bible, I would love for you to turn with me to uh, Genesis chapter 22. And if you don't, that's okay. You can follow along on the screens. Um, but if you, uh, while you're turning there to Genesis 22 at the very beginning, let me just give you a, a quick background and kind of set up where we are in, in this story. Um, we're right near the very beginning of God creating everything, right? And, and Adam and Eve show up and they kind of mess things up. And we've gone through uh, Noah and the ark and the flood and all of that kind of stuff. And now we're at a guy named Abraham. And when Abraham was 75 years old, okay, so he's been around for a while. He's pretty established. He's, he's got some wealth. He's got a, a good-sized family. He's got a bunch of great things going on in his life. When he was 75, God shows up and, and says, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I, I'm going to test you a little bit. I want you to pack up. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your home, leave everything that's familiar, and I want you to go but I'm not gonna tell you where you're gonna go. You're just gonna go, right? I just want you to go and, and trust me and, and I'll tell you when you get there, when you can stop. And so Abraham says, oh, okay, God. And so he packs up everything. He packs up all of his tents and all of his servants and his family and all of his possessions and everything. And, and he goes, right? And while he's traveling, God does a couple of cool things in his life. He gives him a, a promise and, he, and, he, and an incredible covenant. And in this promise, he says, Abraham, you're gonna be the father of an incredible nation. In fact, go outside, Abraham, and look up at the stars in the sky. And that's how many descendants you're going to have, right? And it's going to be like sand on the seashore, right? You're going to have all of these descendants. This incredible nation is going to come from you. An amazing promise from God to Abraham. The problem is, is that Abraham doesn't have any children. He doesn't have a son. There's, there's no one in line for him to have these descendants for this great nation to come from. And so when he's 85, Abraham decides to try and take things into his own hands. And so he actually ends up sleeping with his wife's uh, servant and, uh, and, and she gets pregnant and they have a son named Ishmael and, 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 and Abraham shows up to God and, and he says, God, look, look, now I have a son. Now the promise can come true. And God says, that's not exactly what I wanted to do there, Abraham. You, you kind of took things in your own hand. You kind of jumped ahead of me. That's, that's not what the plan was. And so you're going to have to wait a little while longer. When he was 100 years old and his wife, Sarah, was 90, they were pregnant right? 90 and pregnant. There's no joke for that. That's just, that's serious stuff, right? Can you imagine being 90 and pregnant? Abraham's a hundred and they give birth to their son, Isaac. And, and it seems like God's just wrapping up this cool, cool story, right? And all of a sudden they've got the son, which means that's where the descendants are going to come from. This nation is going to be formed out of this. Wow, what an incredible promise. And, and, and God's been so good to Abraham and Abraham's been faithful in following God. And, and then a, a bunch of years later, God shows back up one more time. He says, Abraham, I've got one more test for you. I want to see if you will trust me. And really, that's the question that God is asking each of us, even here today. And so Genesis 22, beginning of verse 1, says this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. I love this, right? God doesn't need directions. God knows exactly where Abraham is. And Abraham knows that God knows where Abraham is. But I love Abraham's response in this. Abraham says, here I am. Right? Or really what he's saying, if you kind of unpack it a little bit, is just, I'm at your service, God. I'm completely available to you. Now, 
it's got to be a little hard for Abraham, right? Because he knows he's gone through all kinds of, of impossible tests already. And now God's calling him, right? He's, he's about to ask him to do something difficult again. Abraham's got to be thinking to himself, I, I've already left everything behind and, and followed you, right? I, I gave up my status in the community. I became a, a laughing stock to people. I, I've changed my name, right? I, we did the whole circumcision thing when I was in my 80s. That wasn't fun. And then I had a, a child when I was 100. He's like, like, God, I feel like I've been through the test and I've passed and I've been faithful. And, and now you're asking for something else. But I love Abraham's response. Here I am. I'm at your service. I'm completely available for you. Verse two, then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Abraham's got to be going, whoa, 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 whoa. Right, time out, God. <laughs> Sorry, what, what was that? I mean, you, you want me to give up everything again? What, what about the promise, God, of descendants and, and, a, and a nation and, and all of these things? You finally give me a son at 100 and, and, and what is this that you're asking me? And God says, take your son, your, your only son, whom you love. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know who it is that you're talking about, God. God says, I want you to sacrifice him to me. I want you to kill him. And the idea that this old couple, right, would even have a baby was, was laughable in the first place. In fact, that's what Isaac's name means. But now the laughter is about to die. Verse three, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Can you imagine how fun that walk was? And one of the first questions that I had was, was well, how old is Isaac in this? And, and so I, I kind of read up on it a little bit. And most scholars, it doesn't tell us, but most scholars believe he was at least 20 years old, maybe as old as like 37-ish. So, so you've got a 120-plus-year-old man, and you've got a 20-plus-year-old young man. Right? And imagine what's going through Isaac's mind. He's like, this is, gonna, this is great. Right? Where I'm going on, this is going to be a memory-making experience with my dad. We're going to go up into the mountains, right? Where we're going to make this, this offering to God. What a cool, cool moment for, for me and my dad to hang out and do this. And, and I wonder if they're walking, if he's like, hey, hey dad, what's that? Hey, hey, dad, how, how was that made? Hey, dad, what are we going to have for dinner tonight? Hey, dad. And I wonder if Abraham just went, hey, hey let, let's play the silence game for a little while, right? I'm going to play the senile card here. I'm 120-something years old. I, I, just, I just need some, some quiet time. Can you feel the knot in your stomach? Uh, not, the, not the fun kind of secret, right? Where you get to tell your kids, we're going to Disney World, right? Not, not that kind of secret, but the, the devastating kind of secret. You get the, the report from the doctor, and now it's your job to, to tell the rest of your family what that is. <laughs> You know that, that he's cheating on her, but she doesn't know that he's cheating on her. And, and now you're kind of caught with this information, right? What do I do with this? Maybe it's a friend that's applying for a job at the place that you work and, and you know that they didn't get the job, but they don't know yet. It hasn't been communicated. It's not your place to communicate it, but, but they keep asking you, have you heard anything yet? I'm so excited. I, I think the interview went really well. And, and you know the secret, you know that they didn't get it. Maybe it's that you know that you were invited to something, right? You, you know what, what's happening tonight. There's a bunch of us are going to this, but, but you've got a friend that wasn't invited to that. They call you, hey, what are you, what are you doing tonight? 
uh, right? It tears you up inside. You don't, you don't sleep, you don't eat. And I wonder what Abraham's feeling in this. Verse five, he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Is he lying? Right? I mean, it wouldn't be the first time for Abraham. And we haven't had time to, to look at this. You're gonna have to read this part on your own. But if you go back and read Abraham's story, there's a couple of times that while they were traveling, they went to some distant lands. And, and, it, and it says in the Bible that Sarah was beautiful. And so Abraham was, was scared that when they went into these foreign lands that they would kill him and, and, and just take Sarah for themselves. And so he, he said, hey, when we go into these places, why don't you just tell them that, that you're my sister? Right? And so they did that and it led to all kinds of chaos and, and craziness and, and stuff. And so the, the point is that Abraham has a, has a history of lying. Is, is he lying to his servants here? Does he wonder if he actually has what it takes to go through with this? We're, we're gonna go over there and, and worship and then, and then we'll come back to you because I don't think I'm gonna be able to do this. God, I'm not sure that this test is passable for me. Maybe he's convinced that there's, there's some other plan, right? That there's something else going on here. Am I, am I getting punked, right? Is like Aston Kutcher gonna jump out or the Impractical Joker guys are, are watching it on a TV monitor behind a tree back there? Like, right? like somebody, come on, tell me that this is just a joke, right? Or does he just have a crazy amount of faith? Is he so faith-filled that he says, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna worship and then we will come back to you? Does he believe that God is going to do something absolutely miraculous here? We don't know. He just keeps walking and probably sweating and I'm sure praying, struggling just to put one foot in front of the other. Verse six, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. You see that the boy has no idea that the wood that he is carrying is for him. And in just a, a few hours, he's gonna be laying on it. He's gonna be sacrificed on it. Do you see the, the Jesus imagery here? Right, here's Isaac, the, the sacrifice, carrying the wood to the place where he will be sacrificed on it. And, and a few thousand years later, we have Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, carrying his cross to the place where he will be sacrificed on it for the, the sins of the world. But I love Abraham, right? He, such a good dad. He carries the dangerous items himself. He's got the knife and, and the fire. And, and I wonder, right, because Isaac's old enough. He, he's got to be starting to do the math, right? Stuff's starting to go through his mind as they, as they travel in. And it says in verse 7, Isaac spoke up and he said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. You see, Abraham's response to Isaac is the exact same response that he gave to God when God called his name earlier in this story. So if you're counting, this is the second time Abraham's response was, here I am. I'm at your service. I'm completely available for you. And Isaac says, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. See, Abraham kind of gives a a cryptic answer, doesn't he? It's not really even an answer, but, but I can imagine it's the only thing he could think of at the time. He, he knows what's gonna happen. He's just hoping that he's wrong. And so they go on together and Isaac is physically carrying something, right? He's carrying the wood for the sacrifice, but Abraham is, is emotionally carrying something. He's carrying the cost of, 
obedience, the cost of faithfulness. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. He's just got to be going through the motions at this point, right? Just trying not to think about what it is that he's about to do. And then it says that he bound his son. And, and, and I can't help but wonder, how, how did that happen? Right, a 120-plus-year-old guy and a 20-plus-year-old young man, like, was there, was there a struggle did, did he wait till Isaac turned his back to him and, and knock him out? Did he wait till he, he fell asleep and then he tied him up? I, I, wonder, if he, I wonder if he gave him hints. Just, just run, son. Just run away. Just leave. Just go and leave this place. I wonder if Isaac figured it out. Dad, you've been telling me all these incredible stories of your faith in God and God's faithfulness back to you, right? I mean, you've told me story after story after story and here we are and everything's set up, but there's, there's nothing to sacrifice. God is, or, Dad, is, is, this a, is this another one of those tests? I'm the sacrifice, aren't I? I get it, okay. Well, you've trusted God this far. I, I'm gonna trust you and, and I'll trust God too. So tie me up, lay me down on that altar and I'll do whatever it takes. We don't know. Verse 10, then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Imagine how long that must have felt, right? It just had to be in slow motion. The, the pain that Abraham is going through, the, the doubt, Isaac laying there with his eyes just clenched shut and Abraham with his eyes full of tears, looking down at his son and, and wondering, how did this happen? With his arm in the air, the knife pointed at his son, trying to muster up the, the strength to go through with this, hoping that God would intervene somehow. And it leads to the question, what would you do? I mean, I want to have that kind of faith, but if I'm honest, I, I don't think I could do it. Right? I mean, we'd lock him up nowadays for even attempting something like this. And, and this is a crazy story. And you read this, and, but regardless of his doubts and regardless of his uncertainty, Abraham doesn't run. Right? He, he doesn't hide. He, he doesn't give up on, on God. His faith is in, in God. And even though this is such a strange request and, and he's asking him to do such a terrible thing, it's the same God that has spoken so many wonderful promises to him. It's the same God that has proven himself faithful time and time again. And so there's Abraham with the knife drawn above his son and he's about to do it when verse 11 hits and it says, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And for the third time, to three different people, he responds the exact same way. <laughs> Don't you know by now, here I am. I'm at your service. I'm completely available for you. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only Son, now I know that you fear God. Now I know that you will do whatever he asks. I know now that God is absolutely enough for you, that you will hold nothing back. That Abraham, you've been faithful in the past and you've proven yourself faithful one more time. And verse 13 says, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. 
So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Crazy story. And I think for many of us, we, we've grown up hearing this story. And so what happens is that we act like this is just a completely normal thing. But for those of you that are, are just kind of checking out God for maybe for the first time, you're, you're probably a little freaked out right now, right? You're like, we, we should have gone to brunch. This is, this is, right? This isn't normal, right? This is, what are they talking about? And there's a lot of those pastors are bald and I'm not sure what's happening here at, at, at this church, right? This is a crazy story. Uh, you got to ask the question, well, why would Abraham even consider this? And maybe even a better question is why would God ask him to do this? See, we have to understand Abraham's culture at that time. All the other nations around him, they were all sacrificing children to their gods. And so God knew this. He knew that it was a cultural thing around them, right? And Abraham knew this because he heard all of the stories and probably witnessed some of it himself. And so it's not that far out in left field for God to ask him to do this. But it just seems like God's playing a cruel joke on an old man, doesn't it? And then we remember verse one of chapter 22. There's three words in it and it says this, that God tested Abraham. See, it's important for us to understand this. God's only testing him. God had no intention of going through with this. You may say, well, Donnie, how do, how do you know that? Well, because we know that later Abraham's descendants through Isaac became the nation of Israel. And one of the laws that God gave them multiple times was do not sacrifice children. That is never acceptable. That is never allowed. I want you to stand out and be different from all of these other nations and the gods that they worship. Your God is different. And so we know it's only a test. Right, so we relax because the, the boy was never in any real danger anyways. We know this, but Abraham didn't, right? And so part of me wants to scream at my Bible when I read this, kind of like we, we scream at the television, right? Like guys, when the ref blows a call and you're like, oh, how did you, how did you miss that, right? It was so obvious, it's, it's like right there in front of you. There are ladies when The Bachelor starts to make out with the crazy girl and you're like, oh, not her, not her, right? Or, or you're watching the presidential debates and you're just like, I don't even know what to say, right? I should be screaming something, but it's just, it's just bizarre. I don't even know what I'm watching right now. And I, I want to yell to Abraham, even though I know he can't hear me because he's dead, but, but I want to yell to him. It, it's it's going to be all right, right? This is just a test. He's not that kind of God. We're reading it, but Abraham was living it. See, the, the, the reality in our lives is that God tests us too. He tests our faith all the time to see if we will be totally dependent on him, to see if we will be loyal to him, to see if we are committed to him, to see if we will be faithful to the things that he asks us to do. The concept of testing in the Bible is important for us to understand. It only occurs for those that are followers of Jesus. And, and passing a test doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. It's, it's proof that you already have a relationship with him. So for many of us that are facing tests today and you're wondering, why, why does God hate me? Why is God making me go through this? It, it, it's not that at all. He doesn't hate you. What he's showing you is it's proof of your relationship with him and, and, and he's trying to, through this, grow 
your character. He's trying to make you more like him. So there's two essentials from this story that, that, that we need to take away, that we need to walk away with to help us when we face tests in our life. And, and it says the first one is, is that we need to be faith-filled. We need to be faith-filled. But before we even face tests in our life, and they happen every single day, we need to be faith-filled people. And it's all about trust. It's believing in God even when we don't see it, even when we don't see him. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You see, even though we can't see God physically, right? Even though we don't know what's going to happen in 30 seconds or 30 days or, or 30 years from now, we can be confident. We can have hope in the fact that, that God's in control of everything, that God knows all things. Romans 4, 17 says this. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, referring to Abraham. And he said, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. See, this is where Abraham's faith came from to go through with this. He believes that God, even if God goes through with this, even if he has to sacrifice his son, that God can bring the dead back to life. He creates new things out of nothing. Abraham is incredibly faith-filled. It's the definition of faith-filled, right? Believing that, that God can bring life to something that's dead, that he can make something out of nothing. Mark 9, 23 says, everything is possible for one who believes. See, Abraham's faith isn't in himself. It's not in his feelings. It's not in, in positive thinking. His faith is completely in God. And when you hit a dead end in life, when, when you feel like giving up, when life just gets too tough, Maybe it's in context of your marriage, right? And all of a sudden you just get to this place and, and I don't know how we got here, but there's no interaction anymore and there's, there's no intimacy left. Maybe it's in your career, right? And you're just not in the career that you dreamed of and you're not making a stable income or maybe you just lost your job or maybe it's the complete opposite. You're in your dream career, but it's killing you. You had no idea how much it was going to cost, how many hours would have to go into it, the sacrifices, the compromises that, that you would be asked to make. Maybe it's in the context of your family. You're heading in different directions. There's, there's little communication that's happening anymore. You're fighting all the time. Maybe it's an addiction, something that you just can't quit, and it's slowly killing you. Maybe it's quickly killing you. A broken relationship, that hurt, has led to, to bitterness, it's led to regret and resentment, and now you're just carrying around a, a suitcase, right? You just got a, a bunch of baggage, and you just go from relationship to relationship to relationship carrying that with you. Maybe it's your future, it's, it's, it's unknown, it's uncertain, and I'm paralyzed. I don't even know what decision to make. When you hit a dead end, you feel like giving up. When life gets too hard, remember this, God can bring what seems dead back to life. That he can make something out of nothing. Luke 18, 27 says, Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. You see, there's three kinds of deliverance that happens. The first is, is, it, is that God, it's circumstantial deliverance. And this is where God changes a situation, right? Maybe you've been diagnosed with something and, and you, you pray about it. You have your small group pray with you and you go back to start the, to start the therapy and, 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 and they do one more test and all of a sudden they discover that, that you're clean, that it's gone right? The, the situation has changed. Or maybe it's in context of your marriage and, and you guys are on the verge of, of divorce and you ask your spouse one more time, will you please just go to counseling with me? And for whatever reason, this time they say, okay. 
And it's hard and you work at it, but eventually you start to grow back closer together and it becomes a marriage that you dreamed of. The situation changes. For me, when I was in, in high school, my dad was diagnosed with kidney disease. And, uh, and I remember I was 16 years old and my mom actually gave my dad one of her kidneys. It was really cool and scary and crazy all at the same time. And, and I remember that day and the, the surgery happened. And, and so he now has one of her kidneys and his body began to fight it, right? It began to reject it. It didn't want this foreign organ inside of him. And, and, and he was incredibly sick. And this went on for, for several days. And I remember getting to the point where my mom just said, just get it out of him. Right, I, we, I don't want this anymore. Just, just get it out of him. I can't stand him being this sick. I know it's another operation. I know he has to go back on dialysis. We'll just figure that out later. Just get it out of him. And my dad was there the entire time saying, no, not yet. Not yet. I, I know God's gonna do something. I know God's gonna do something. And then a couple days later, just like that, all of a sudden his body stopped fighting it and it just accepted it, Right? And God changed the situation. He changed my dad physically, but he changed him spiritually too. And he changed this 16-year-old who, who saw this new version of God going, wow, that's a big God that can do stuff like that. Then there's personal deliverance. And that's when God doesn't change the situation, but he changes you in the situation, right? The, the diagnosis is still terminal, but you just decide, you know what, God, I'm gonna fight this with all I have and I'm gonna represent you, Jesus, in every relationship, every conversation, everything that happens from this moment on. You ask to go to counseling one more time and they say no and they file for divorce and it's not what you want and, and, and it ends up going through. But you say, God, will you help me to forgive? Will you heal me through this? God, I can't change the situation anymore, but will you change me? In... Uh, July of 2007, my dad was back on dialysis. The kidney had lasted for longer than we had ever expected it to, um, which was cool, but it had finally failed. He was back on dialysis and we were together as a family one day. We were actually swimming in the pool and, and, uh, and, and he, for the first time in, in, in a long, long time, um, felt really good. And he said, you know what, guys, I'm gonna go put on my bathing suit. I'm gonna come join you in the pool. And we were like, this is incredible, right? I haven't seen dad like feeling this good in, in so long. And he went inside and we're not exactly sure what happened while he was inside, but, but we found him not too long later. He had had an accident and somehow had fallen down a flight of stairs and, and suffered a massive head injury. We spent the next several days at the hospital just praying, God, will you, will you just change this situation? God, will you heal my dad? Will you deliver him like you delivered him the first time? But this time he didn't. On August 3rd, 2007, we had to make the decision to take my dad off life support and he passed away a couple hours later. See, God doesn't always change the situation, but he changed me. Again, it was a chance for me to go, okay, God, I don't like this. This isn't what I wanted or what I hoped for, but you're still God and you've been so faithful to me. So I'm gonna be faithful to you. Sometimes the last form of deliverance is ultimate deliverance. And that's where if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that ultimately he will deliver you into his presence for eternity. Sometimes he doesn't fix this broken world and our broken bodies the way that we want. But ultimately, if we have a relationship with him, we know that we have hope, that he will take hopeless end and he'll turn it into an endless hope. You see, when we're tested, we need to be faith-filled. But the second thing that we need to do is, is that we need to be faithful. And our beliefs guide our behavior. Our trust leads to action in our lives. And we say, God, I'm gonna obey you even though I don't understand it, even though it doesn't make sense, just like Abraham did. 
See, maybe you've never thought of this before, but is it possible that God wants to count on you, that he wants to depend on you, that he wants to use you, that he has an incredible plan for your life, and that he has set you up to do something that is unique to you in this world? And God's desire is for us to be faithful to him. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes we don't know what that next step is. Sometimes it's incredibly scary, but God says, will you be faithful? Will you trust me? And will you trust in my faithfulness? Here's what, when we stand before God one day, I wanna hear him say to each one of us, Matthew 25, 23 says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. You see, when we're tested, we need to be faith-filled people so that we can be faithful. Two questions for you to close this out. The first is this, do you believe that God is faithful? Because it has to start there. If you don't believe God is faithful, then, then, then there's no hope as you go through these things. And maybe for some of you today, for the very first time, you're saying, okay, if, if this is how much God loves me, if this is true that there's a God out there that, that sent his son Jesus to die for me because I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I am broken, I can't do this on my own anymore. And if God loves me that much, then okay, I'll, I'll trust in his faithfulness and I'll put my life in him. See, God doesn't take days off. He doesn't take vacation. He never stops caring about us. He never stops being in control of things. He's always faithful because that's, his character. Do you believe that he's faithful today? Here's the second question. What could God do if you trusted him just a little bit more this week? What could he do in your relationships? What could he do with your family? Is there someone that you need to forgive? Is there someone that, that you need to have the trust just to ask for forgiveness for? What could God do in your life? If we were faith-filled people and we were faithful and saying, God, whatever it is that you ask me to do, I'll follow you. I'll be fully committed to you. I will be loyal to you. Here I am. I'm your servant. I'm completely available for you. And the amazing part in this, we don't do this on our own, right? We've been talking about this this entire series. You don't have to muster up the faithfulness on your own like Abraham had to, right? We don't have to do that. God's developing it inside of us through his spirit. And that's the incredible promise, the incredible love, the incredible hope that we have in a relationship with Jesus Christ. When we're tested, we need to be faith-filled so that we can be faithful. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your incredible love, your incredible grace. God, you're such a good God to us. And Father, although sometimes we don't understand what happens in our life, we know that there's so many things that are outside of our control. God, will you help us to be faith-filled people today and every single day? Father, putting our trust completely in you that you're in control, that you love us, that you have a plan for our lives. Help us to walk in faith, believing that you can turn dead things back to life, that you can make something new out of something that was non-existent before. God, that you are that God. Help us to be faith-filled people in you, and then God, help us to live faithful lives, obedient, loyal, committed to you, no matter what it costs us at times. May we follow you with that. Thank you for developing these characteristics, this fruit in our lives, Jesus. We love you and it's in your name we pray, amen.